0: The American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. Well, we are in Nehemiah chapter 7. We will cover the whole chapter, but a good portion of it's a repeat, if you will, from Ezra. And so for the purpose of our congregational reading today, we will read Nehemiah 7 verses 1 through 4, as I typically do. I am reading out of the New American Standard Bible. If I read out of something else, I usually tell you, but I say that more for the audience that's listening and watching. Nehemiah chapter 7 verses 1 through 4. Now when the wall was rebuilt and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed, then I put Hananiah my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. I also appointed guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem each to his post, and each in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but it, in it were few houses were not built. You may be seated. I do, and I know, I know for some people this stuff goes, I really don't, that stuff doesn't work for me, Pastor. But those of you that, that are here when we do Wednesday nights and we do inductive Bible study, we note these type of things. And, and the word that we put a point, put in charge, set over uh, are three different Hebrew words. And they have different implications. And so I will talk about those a little bit as we go through this verse by verse, Okay. So we find out that, remember last time we talked about that the walls were built, but the gates weren't. Now he's saying we've got the walls rebuilt, and now we have the doors, the gates up, all right? And the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites, that's addressing by this point one of the things that they built the temple, if you recall, all the way back in Ezra 1 is when they began it and they finished in the last half of the book of Ezra. But the walls weren't rebuilt. Now that the walls are rebuilt, they're not as worried so much about the temple being vulnerable because, to be honest, that's where the treasure was. The, temple was the, fan- the church was the fancy place in town. And uh, now that the walls and the gates are up, they can now put the singers and the Levites in their place and the doorkeepers at the temple. Okay. But then he says he put Hanai or Hanani, his brother. If you remember, he's referred to back in chapter 1 of Nehemiah when Nehemiah hears that someone has been to Jerusalem and has returned, Nehemiah goes to his brother, one of his brothers that had been this, Haniah, and asks him about the condition of Jerusalem. So Hanani had traveled to Jerusalem, back to Susa where Nehemiah, and he obviously therefore has traveled back again with Nehemiah. And then it says Hananiah, the commander of the fortress. The word for it is really palace. Okay, he was the commander of the palace guard. All right. Now Nehemiah is the governor appointed by Artaxerxes, so I'm assuming that would be the palace. Now how much of a palace was it when Israel was in, Jerusalem was in this decay? Not much. So this is why I think sometimes they rear the fortress, but there really wasn't a major fortress outside the walls. Okay? So inside somewhere was the green zone. Anybody remember, you guys in the military maybe, and right? Uh, in Iraq they had that area that was, that inner, but they protected even though they had control of all of Iraq. They had that particular part where the commanders and the big bosses lived and made decisions. So Hananiah is, is this lead person of where all the decisions are being made and it says two things about this fellow that Uh, I think very important qualities, that he was a faithful man and he feared God more than many. As we finish this out, I'm going to go to those two points and we'll elaborate on those more uh, as we get to the application side of this message. So he's appointed some guys to be over Jerusalem and one of the guys over the command post, we'll call it that, but then he says he appoints guards from the inhabitants, the people. He enlists some people to guard the walls. They're watchmen on the walls because we all know just because you have walls doesn't mean people can't get in. Come on, we've all seen those movies where they siege you know, the castle, the building, they put the ladders up and throw the rope hooks. That always hook on the first time. You ever notice that? If I was trying to hook it, it wouldn't work the first time, but in the movies it does. So there's watchmen on the wall because remember, they're still surrounded by people that oppose them. They're still in a famine stage because of the blockade, if you will, around them. So there's two types of guards. Those, I'll, I'll say, over the community as a whole. But then he says he established it was the responsibility of each one of you, the people, to guard your own house. Now the word house, it just says in the later, it says there weren't very many houses. Well, house, a home, a family and remember, he brought people from out in the country to work in the city. So they're in the city. Some of these people are obviously living in tents, that kind of thing, temporary shelters. But, but look, at I, I've taken care about the governmental side of this in the sense that as the governor, my job is to protect you all, so I put people on the wall. But you still have a responsibility to protect yourself. You, you need to guard your own home. I'm not going to preach on that. I'll leave that for a minute. And then verse 4 tells us that there is this small population. There wasn't very many people and a lot of houses for them to live in. The city was vulnerable in that sense. It's hard to defend against an army and the the enemy when you're less than they are. But he can't increase the population until he knows who's there. And it says in verse 5 that then my God put in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, the other people, to be enrolled by genealogies. In other words, to look at what family you came from. And he gets, finds the book that Zerubbabel brought, and you'll see that in Ezra chapter 2, where it lists the names, the family names, that came with Zerubbabel in the first return of the exiles. So, so he wants to see who we have, And how are they connected with the first group that came? And the verse 6 through 73 of Nehemiah 7 is basically a repeat of Ezra 2. He's telling us what that record says, which we have over in Ezra chapter 2. And it does tell us in verse 66 there's 49,942 people which is slightly different than Ezra 2 by 45, and that's because of how many singers they count. But I want you to understand, uh, most scholars feel this represents about 2% of the estimated 2.5 million Jews that were taken into captivity. So I want you to think about that. 2.5 million taken into captivity, and only 2% had the, I'll say, the pioneer spirit, I guess. To, to head back and try to make this work. If you know anything of Israel, uh, particularly after the British, you know, the British had Israel uh, before World War II, okay, and during, and so the people, how many have ever seen the movie The Exodus? But the ship, of the people that went to Israel. Anybody ever seen that? Okay, If you know anything about it, it took a bold group of people even then in 1945-48 for them to come and live in Israel surrounded by their enemies. Okay, And as soon as um, the UN declared them to be a nation, as you may know, every nation around them attacked them. You guys know that, right? Okay, well, you, some of you look a little dumbfounded there. And, and I would say this is sort of a similar thing. They're living here, they're outnumbered by all the people. And it takes a particular heart to do that. I remember when, when we planted this church, okay? And, and uh, men wiser than me told me this those who start with you won't finish with you. Because there's a pioneer spirit. Now that may not be true. There's plenty of you here that were in that process, but there is a certain heart or attitude says, "Yeah, I'll go try something new. I'll go try something difficult, and so on." Okay, so he has these group of people. uh, About, like I said, about two percent. I find a couple interesting notes I didn't bring up in Ezra two. There's this guy named Asgad um, in verse seventeen. 2,322 of his descendants. That's the greatest of any particular one family. Well, well, I wonder what in that family made these people pioneer people. During the 70 years in captivity, their family obviously flourished to have enough people. But something in that family goes, yeah, 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 we'll risk it. Yeah, yeah, we think God's in this, we'll go try it. I, I just find it intriguing that out of that one family, significantly more than most of the others. But we find in verse 61 and 62 that there were about 640 of these people who couldn't prove they were related to one of these Jewish guys. Okay, Matter of fact, a couple of them seemed to be related to uh, the, the enemies that were surrounding them. Okay, More like Samaritans or something else. And then it says there were some of the priestly lineage though. But somewhere back in the history, those of Aaronic lineage, Aaron, they had intermarried with somebody outside of Judaism, and so they were disqualified from serving. And Nehemiah, the governor, it says, the one that makes this decision, no, you can't serve. And the, until the priesthood is established and set up with the Urim and the Purim, which is a... It was one of the ways they would make judgments in the Old Testament. They had this breastplate and they would believe in the providence and sovereignty of God. So let's say Glenn here is one of those guys that couldn't prove where he was from, for example. They would use the, those particular stones to, to let God decide whether or not this person can serve. So if you pulled out a black stone, for example, negative. You pulled out a white stone. Now to us, that seems a little superstitious. But this is how God told them to make the decision. So basically God's saying, I'm going to be in control of the stones. OK, so for us today, that seems a little odd. But so Nehemiah says, no, they can't serve until we get these priestly things set back up and they could do this, I'll call it ceremony. But I want you to ponder these two men that he puts in charge. Y- you got to recognize not everybody was with you. Just because they were came down with Zerubbabel's clan they might have been here a while, they could very, and some of them had intermarried, we find out, with these, I'll say enemies. Eventually, well after Nehemiah, one of those enemies' sons becomes high priest, after killing another guy in the temple. Okay, So, so you needed to have people that you can trust there. And obviously, Hanai uh, is Nehemiah's brother. But you also got to realize in those days that just because you were a brother, the oldest bro, he got inheritance. The rest of them had to split a little bit. So there was a lot of competition, even murder and scheming. You could see that in Jacob and Esau. You could see that, you know, in various places. Okay. But I want you to understand, this guy traveled from Jerusalem to Susa, or oh, Susa to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Susa. this guy did a 900 mile trip on foot or on horseback three times. Now, how many of you taken a 900 mile or a thousand mile journey in your car? Yeah, yeah. And you go about 20 miles down the road, and the kid said, "Are we there yet?" Right, right. 900 miles, and I, and I say by horseback because the Bible lists how many horses and donkeys and mules that they had in that first trip. Okay, so that a lot of them probably rode, not all of them when I calculate the numbers. all right, But he did that three times. He was there to help Nehemiah's family. He's part of that family. When, he's, when Nehemiah says, we built this portion of the wall, that would include his brother. So his actions had proved that he was committed to the work and the cause. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. But I don't help. I won't make the trip. That kind of thing. No, no. He made the trip three times. And he did the work. I can trust this guy. I know he's my brother. But more than that, he proved the fact that he's in it with me. And one of the reasons here at our church is this unwritten rule. As elders, we talk about it. That you you can't be any leadership type of role until you've been here a year. Why? Because i got to know you're in it with me. I got to let your actions, more than your words, show me you're in it. Okay? That, that we're walking together in unity. Alright? And so that was a big deal. Words, let's say, let's get it real, words are cheap. Right? Because we get the politicians all the time that make promises. Okay? And then they get an office and you go, but you, you didn't do what you said. Okay? So he's going to put this guy in an office, I'll call it that. He wanted to make sure that his brother was in it, and actually would do something. Then the one I tend to want to focus on here is Hananiah. He was a faithful man. Now, just in Collins' Dictionary, and there's various dictionaries, but Collins is one of those I've had forever, read one. okay? Collins' Dictionary. Someone who is faithful is one who is unwavering in their allegiance. One who... Demonstrates a strong sense of duty and responsibility. I'm just reading the definitions out of there. One who is conscientious, accurate, thorough, reliable, exact. One who is unshakable in their beliefs. Then I, then this is no longer the definition out of the dictionary. Such a person is time tested, has proven themselves to be, and these are basically synonyms. If you can go to one of those synonym sites, synonyms for faithful, steadfast, consistent, reliable, dependable, stable, tried and true, loyal, devoted, dedicated, trustworthy, incorruptible, principled, scrupulous, self sacrificing and thorough. Wow. This guy was noted as being that kind of guy. I'll ask you a question. Are you? Oh, sure I am. Really? 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 When, when you do this? Yeah, yeah. I'll pray for you. Can I count on that? But just asking you to analyze yourself. If you were in this situation, would Nehemiah look at you and go, hey, there's a faithful one. I would suggest to you that our culture today doesn't hold faithfulness and high esteem. I mean, as I talk to people, as you've probably seen like I have, there's now hiring signs everywhere. And, and you talk, I've talked to them. I've talked to them. So what are you looking for? Somebody that'll show up continue to show up and do the work. while they're here, not be on their phone and not take time off. Just be reliable, faithful, consistent, loyal. All these words. That's the first thing I hear from them. Not, well, you got to be an expert in. Well, you have to have a degree in. They're just looking for faithfulness. Well, I know we like to think that in their church, we're different than all of them really i would suggest we're influenced more by the world than we want to let on okay and 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 how far do i go here without getting in too much trouble when when you spoken or unspoken we don't do membership cards here where you sign up and become a member Okay, And so if you were to look at our, our bylaws that we have to register with the state because we're a corporation, they have to say how you define a member. Okay, And as we looked at that as elders, you know what? When I've been seeing your face for six months and you've been here like this and, and, and you're given regularly and you're participating, that's creating a bond. That's create. Now most churches, they have a card. You sign the card. You're a member. Okay? Because most churches do voting by law. You have to have who those voting people are okay? in typical con- American congregational churches. Okay, and so, But there's that commitment. And I'm amazed how many believers will just take that commitment and go, Well, you see. Mrs. Jones, last she didn't say hi to me, you know. And then, and I wasn't invited to. And at the last potluck, nobody brought any food. And besides, my friends invited me to church B. Let me go through that definition of faithful again. Now, once you to notice, these two men went through all of this mess with them. It wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, once you get the walls up, and things are copastetic. Things are going. Uh, yeah, I'm in it with you. They stayed with it when it was hard. In our culture today, if she no longer makes me happy, I'm leaving. Really? Okay. Our culture does not honor. Well, Let me say it. We, I, we honor it when I want you to be faithful, if I can say it like that. But to be faithful, I'm not sure we honor that one. Well, but you, you, you don't understand. See, though, uh, I had to do this and I had to do this, so I called in today. And so somebody else had to work twice as hard, do a double shift and everything else, because you can't, no, there's always emergencies. I know that. But I, I, you know, I don't think, um, I won't do that. I won't do that. Uh, I know in our culture, pets are people. You see it on the back of the thing. Okay, just, just when you're with me, don't ever refer to yourself as the mother, the father, the parent of your pet. Please, don't do that. Okay, because when God did creation, he made all those things, but then he made you and I in the image of God. Don't, when you say you're the parent of that cat, that dog, that lobster, whatever it is you got... I'm sorry, you, that's not the image of God, all right? But, but our idea is I will break my vow of faithfulness. I won't show up. Because the cat, the dog, the fish, the frog, whatever it is we got, really, when does that pet become more important than your faithfulness? And I'll talk about, don't worry, at the end, I will tell you why this is so important, okay? it's The word faithful, faithfulness, I can't give you the list of times the Bible uses that word. Okay? Faithful. Wow, can they say it about me? Then his other thing about him was he feared God, not that he just feared, he feared God more than many or more than most. When you looked at this guy, you saw two things. This dude is faithful. You can count on this guy. And he fears God. I mean, just look at over here and look at him. That guy fears God. Let me ask you, how do they know that? And the word fear in Hebrew, Yahweh, by the way, if you care, means to be afraid, to stand in awe of reverence, honor, respect. And we have a hard time. And you can go to websites right now and say the weird fear. And the Bible doesn't mean the word fear. It means honor, reverence, or respect. Okay? Now, uh, you can take whoever you honor or respect in culture. A great author. A great sportsman of some sort. Athlete. Okay? Some whatever. What is it that makes you go, wow, that's amazing how that author writes, right? How that basketball player plays, okay, or whatever it is. You stand in awe of what they can do, all right? Um, so it has to do something with what God can do. In Romans 3, and the word, Greek word, okay, phobio is the Greek word for fear. We get the word phobias, okay? Um, in, in chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 okay, Paul tells us that those who are not regenerated by God in spirit of them there's no one righteous no one seeks God no one does good they even have a tendency to be violent and those people do not fear God it's one of the signs of the unregenerated is they do not fear God Proverbs tells us a lot about the fear of God, but in 1427, okay, and others, it talks about the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life or leads to life, okay? And I know you've heard the other ones, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, okay? Well, there's two ways. It says it more than once, okay, also in Psalms. In, in Proverbs 1 and 7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then in Proverbs 9 and 10 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, there's a link between the fear of the Lord, knowledge and wisdom. I would suggest to you that the knowledge precedes the wisdom. In Romans 12, be ye transformed, yeah, it's King James, that's the way I memorize it, be ye transformed by the renewing of your Mind. Now we know that our spirits are renewed when we're regenerated, born again, made new by the sovereign act of God through the Holy Spirit. Our problem is right here. But I want you to think about it. When you surrendered your life to Christ, okay, whenever that was, somebody proclaimed to you the gospel. Knowledge. It didn't bypass your brain. You heard something and faith comes by... Hearing you hearing the word of Christ, you heard something. It got in your brain. You went, "Wait a minute here." But I think what brings the wisdom out of the knowledge is when we begin to gain understanding or knowledge of who God is. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear. This message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC, P.O. Box 32, Nampa, Idaho, 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.